Hello oh, there. there. Welcome back to yet another episode of Star Wars in a Galaxy, watching all the Star Wars we can get our hands on. Um, I'm Eli. Jacob is unfortunately not with us. He is uh, away now, and uh, but I do have I do have a guest on with me um, for this great episode of Star Wars in a Galaxy, a theme between themes. Um, I have on with me Devor from the excellent Star Wars podcast. A large review of the force. He's been on the show before. Uh, Devor, how are you doing? I am doing pretty great. Thanks for having me back. Thanks for it's good thanks to be for, back. Thanks for coming back. Uh, it's it's great to have you back. Um, before we get into our little a theme between themes episode, using the theme between themes idea that Devor has come up with uh, for us, uh, we figured um, we talk about the most recent Bad Batch episode that's released, not nine. Not whatever nine's going to be called, but indeed um, eight, um, which is going to be uh, reunion. Uh, so again, spoilers for uh, reunion will be here. Um, Devor, let's start off with you. What did you think about reunion? Um, I thought it was, it was definitely like a turning point episode. It had the feel of obviously like this comes later than it did in like what I'm comparing it to, but it had the feel of like the sin in Mando season one, where it's like that kind of inflection point in that, in the story. Um, so I like that. I liked that. We got to have crosshair back. We got kind of back to that a plot. We've been sort of away from that. Not that I've necessarily minded that we've been away from it, but I do like getting him back and seeing what's going on with, you know, the Caminoans and all their intrigue and all of that. Plus just from a kind of visual aesthetic level, like I, I love that we're, back on Bracca and we're still there and we're seeing all that. Like the stuff on Bracca, I actually like at the time that we recorded that at the time that we're recording this, like I have just tweeted this, but it'll now been like a couple weeks after people listen. I genuinely think that the stuff on Bracca is the best star Wars animation has ever been. Like, like it's animation. Yeah. yeah. It's unbelievably good. Like I was just yeah. like, I rewatched the episode not too long ago, like that shot where, they blow up the engine of the Star Destroyer as it's firing up. Like, unbelievably good. It, it, the, the animation has gotten... It, it's just kept getting better and better and better. You know, Jacob and I have been talking as we've gone through the Clone Wars. Look at season one. Look at the movie. Yeah. The Clone Wars... The, the animation. Not to fault the animation. It was good. The animation in the first season of the movie was good. The animation now is is more detailed it's more it, it, it still lives in within that animated style of the universe but it, it looks more realistic it looks there's more there's more detail there's more there's more nuance to it it's 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 incredible the animation just looks uh seeing that that engine scene you know there are often these like wow moments from star wars anything but like i thought that the wow moment of the episode was going to be the engine i'm like this is so cool this is such an interesting pseudo tech thing that's very star wars and then cad bane shows up <laughs> I, I, like of like of all of the of all of the curveballs we've been thrown in this show and we've been thrown quite a few curveballs the martez sisters out of nowhere i love them but i never thought never thought we'd see the martez sisters but cad bane somebody pointed out that we haven't seen cad bane in a star wars story like a a visual like a TV show Star Wars story in ten years, it's been ten years since you've that's seen right because it was 
season two, right? Season four. No, no, no. Season four, season, oh my god, the Breaco Hardeen stuff, yeah. Yeah, wow. that's the last time we saw Cad Bane was ten years ago. So, it, it I mean, I've seen, I, I feel like Cad Bane's always been, like, a part of my Star Wars stuff, because we've been re-watching the Clone Wars a lot, because, mm -hmm. uh, this whole thing, but, like, we haven't seen this guy in a long time, and it's interesting, everybody talks about the, the Bad Batches, so far, let's call it shaky relationship with continuity, with yeah. Kane and stuff. Nobody's talking about the Cad Bane continuity thing, which is that in in a deleted episode of The Clone Wars, Bane was, it was ambiguous, but Bane looked like he died. Right. And it's interesting for me to see, because with them regarding the 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 more completed episodes, you know, the Bad Batch and the um the siege of mandalore as canon before it was officially a part of the universe it's interesting to me that they're leaving the less developed but still created arcs by the wayside right However, i would point to the thing that like we don't we don't know cad bane would have been dead it looked like he would have been dead yeah it's it's an interesting idea for me of like you know, it was a maybe in a story that wasn't actually technically canon, mm -hmm. but they just decided no, Cad Bane's going to be back because Cad Bane's going to be back. Um, somehow, yeah. Cad Bane returned. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Dark science cloning secrets only the Kaminoans know. <laughs> and they need a good hunter. Um, yeah. That was really that. That was really the breaking point for me. That episode, the um, because it was so out of left field. Like, uh, I I will say one of my biggest problems with the Bad Batch so far has been its similarity in plot threads to the Mandalorian. Yeah, and this episode glimpsed back to that a little bit because it's interesting that you point out the sin. I was thinking more of the tragedy. Yeah, the where, tragedy too. Mm -hmm. Where the kid gets kidnapped. Yeah. Um, but the kidnap, like, while the kidnappings themselves are a big part of the plot, the, the manner in which they are done are extremely different. Yes. Because we don't know how sinister the intent of the Kaminoans is. That's our that's our big question right now. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. um, I do find it interesting because I think back to, like, aftermath in that first episode the fact that like nala say lets omega and the bad batch leave and now they're trying to get them back and it's like like what exactly is going on with them yeah i wonder if it's like nala say wanted like they were worried that omega was gonna die and maybe yeah alive um i yeah i want to know what moff gideon has in mind with Gross. Sorry, sorry, wrong show, wrong show. Uh, <laughs> what Nala say has in mind with um, Omega and what the Kaminoans have in mind with in with Omega. That's an interesting uh, other point I have. Do you think she's Force-sensitive? I've had the thought of that possibility since the first episode, like when we have that scene where, you know, she picks up the gun and she takes out Crosshair and she's like, I've never shot a blaster before. So, yeah. like, at, like, when that happened, I was like huh like maybe like maybe she is 
they could still go in that direction. I could still see that. You know, I did see people kind of subsequently pointing out, like, if they did go in that direction, like, it would then feel a lot like the Mandalorian. Like, yeah. here's the Force-sensitive kid that these sinister agents want for reasons unknown. Um, so I don't, I, I don't know that. Like, you know, you pointed out some of the similarities, like in terms of story beats with with that show. Like, I don't know if they're gonna like go that similar, but yeah. maybe they will. I don't know. I, I've always been the, on the against force sensitivity train for Omega. Um, mm-hmm. I think it, I think the the similarities would be, as you pointed out, too obvious. And I think this episode seems to suggest that she's not. Um, and the only reason I suggest that is because I think it would have been the perfect moment with the Cad Bane scene where she's aiming the crossbow and she actually like. Maybe not, like not kills Cad Bane, but like hurts him in some big way. Yeah, like a, like a Ray moment from the, from the Force Awakens, but she doesn't. And I think the bungling of that opportunity is pointing. And I could be wrong, you know. I could, mm-hmm. I, they could totally like I've been wrong before. I totally thought the person that the Martez sisters were working for was Bail Organa. Whoops. <laughs> uh, I also yeah. Uh, anyway. Point being, I think it goes to suggest that Omega isn't force sensitive, but we're just, I guess we'll just wait and see with that sort of things. Um, I guess let's let's get to, unless you have anything more to say about it, let's get to the main part of the show. Yeah, let's do it. You're entering another plane. A plane where we leave behind the logistical issues, canon continuity, and the Easter eggs. Only here are thematic ideas and symbolic imagery. You're entering a theme between themes. What's in here? Only what you take with you. Well, that sounds a lot better this time. Uh, but I wasn't making it up on the spot. Um, okay, so um, we have three pieces of Star Wars content. Um, Devor, why don't you tell us yourself what... What what is your theme between themes idea? What is your through line? What is your sure? So the 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 sort of trilogy that I put together for this episode was a kind of Star Wars staple that we see basically all throughout the franchise and through the kind of three big eras of Star Wars, and that is the throne room scene. And so I've chosen uh, three throne room scenes for us to sort of talk about and look at. So specifically, those are the throne room scene from the Siege of Mandalore, the OG throne room scene from Return of the Jedi, and possibly to the surprise of some listeners, the Exegol scene from The Rise of Skywalker. Um, Though then again, it's probably going to be a more surprise for you because I would have like done that from the start. Um, Right, right. Yeah, but... um, I will, I will say this, the Rise of Skywalker theme, although it's very, very good, it's not my favorite scene of the three of them. Uh, so, I'll just I don't think it's it. mine either. Yeah. Uh, and it's nothing against the Rise of Skywalker thing, it's just Return of the Jedi has always been my favorite Star Wars movie, and this is pretty much why. Um, but do we want to get uh, on to uh, Phantom Apprentice is the first one? Yeah, we can do that. Yeah. Uh, so, it's interesting because uh, 
I, I remember with the last one, and this is not like a dig at you or anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a certain like theme or lens uh, mm-hmm. to look at it through, um, but this is another facet of the theme between themes, which I love. Um, so I think I, I don't know. I just want to go at it, which is I think it's interesting. First of all, that on the throne in every single one of these movies is the ba- in, or piece of content is the bad guy. Yeah, always. It's interesting that every time there is a throne room, even in ones we're not doing, you know, the one, the thing seen on the supremacy in The Last Jedi slaps poster. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's a bad guy, again. Yes. It, and it, the idea of power being a very, very dark side idea. And there's that quote, um, you know, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts, absolutely. Um, which I think is, is really interesting. Um, and we get that right off the bat with Maul on Mandalore. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if we want to, like, before we, you know, dive into the specifics of Phantom Apprentice, what happens there, if we want to sort of step back and talk kind of more generally, so, sort of bring in some of that kind of thematic meat, like, I mean, something that we could talk about, well, there's sort of two things that we can kind of talk about these scenes, which is, first of all, like, what are the kind of broad sort of tropes or similarities, or like, sort of, what are the ingredients of a Star Wars throne room scene? And... I would submit that, th- that each Star Wars throne room scene, whichever one you look at in terms of the ones we talk about, and even I would say the one that we don't talk about in The yeah, Last Jedi, absolutely. I would say there are kind of four major components to all of them. And those are temptation, revelation, repudiation, and confrontation. So you've got the temptation element first. So like someone, usually the bad guy, is sort of offering something up to our hero who's ever there. There's some sort of allure of something, something, some information, some power, whatever it is. Second element, revelation. So usually what we see in these throne room scenes is there's some sort of truth. There's some sort of discovery. There's some sort of knowledge that is given or provided either to our heroes and or to the audience, to the viewers in all of them. Then the third element, repudiation, sort of goes back to that first one of temptation, which is you have our hero sort of rejecting the villain's offer eventually. There might be a kind of back and forth, and we'll get to see that in some of the third room scenes that we're talking about. And then the fourth element of confrontation, that's basically the showdown, the good versus evil fight, our hero and our villain sort of going at each other. Um, And then sort of to get to the point that you were talking about just before about like, you know, why throne rooms? Why do we have this as a like a recurring setting in all of these moments? Why does this keep happening in Star Wars? Well, to go to the point that you just mentioned, like throne rooms are sites of power. So on the one hand, they're a space from which an individual sort of projects the power they possess, right? They're in the throne room and then they can, you know, make people do whatever they want. Like we'll see that when we get to the Return of the Jedi throne room scene, how Palpatine does that there. At the same time, in addition to throne rooms having this kind of functional role, they're also, they also have this role of being a representation of power. They sort of, as a space, kind of radiate power. They're a kind of symbol of power. And so then they also, in that way, kind of represent the allure of power and the, the allure of rule. So I think, yeah, like if we want to sort of take that step back and talk about like, how do we connect these thematically? Like, I think it is that theme of like, power in star wars and the temptation of power and the allure of power and like 
holding out power to people. Yeah. Uh, and it's interesting to me, uh, to, to your point, that, you know, there's this, uh, there's this offering of the truth or offering of power. Mm-hmm. And that every single time the hero in this situation, and again, adding on to last shit I seen, happens in there too, says no every single time. Yes. Yep. Repudiation. Yep. Um, and it's, and it's, here's something else I just, that just dawned on me. The only time when the hero says yes in a throne room archetype of a scene. Yes. Is not actually in a throne room, Mm -hmm. but will be in a place that is not yet a throne room, but is basically a throne room. It's not it's not it's not a throne room technically, but functionally it serves as a throne room, which is Palpatine's office in Revenge of the Sith. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, it's not a throne room. It's not it's, Palpatine is not yet the king, the emperor yet. Mm-hmm. But he is the supreme chancellor. He does have that much power and he's also been ramping up his emergency powers to make him as close to an emperor as he can get before the empire exists at this point, which I yeah. think is really fascinating. There is a, there's a brief fleeting yes in this very first one that we're going to be talking about. And the last one. Yeah. Two, yeah. There's a brief, brief fleeting, fleeting yes in two of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the, in, and in the, in the, in the second one, it's it like in all three of them, it's definitely on the table. Yes. There's, there is, there is, there is a universe where Luke says yes. yes. There is a universe where Rey fully says yes. There's yeah. a universe where Ahsoka fully says yes. Um, yeah. Uh, another thing I'll, like, kind of taking a step back as well. Mm-hmm. The throne rooms are really interesting to me because, you know, we're we're used to this gunky, gooey environment from Star Wars, the lived-in feel of it. Take out the Snoke tanks on Exegol, which we don't even see in the throne room scene. All the throne rooms are extremely clean and polished. Yes. They are... They're not this lived-in feel. They're they're not this, like, I guess you could say, like, the perfect future we may see in another franchise such as Star Trek. They, they, I'm sorry, they are this perfect future that we might see in, in Star Trek. And it's interesting to me that, that, that this power is represented in such clean terms. You know, I mean, Rexical is arguably the messiest, but even that's just like this, it's just this rock. Yeah. There's nothing really dirty about it. It's this, it's just this rock. It's this barren wasteland. Yeah. All of them have a certain kind of grandeur to them. Um, yeah. Even like even the Exegol one, which as he said, like could probably be the most like utilitarian of all of them. Even that, like when you look at like yeah. the visuals of the throne itself and then the kind of big, whatever you want to call that Coliseum stadium, whatever it is. Yeah. And, and like that throne was going to be in Return of the Jedi. Yeah. That, that was going to be the OG throne room. Was, was going to be the throne of Palpatine in concept art. Um, they decided to go with a different route, um, and in my opinion, a more fitting route. Yes. Um, uh, because build a build, build a bigger Death Star. They said it'll be fun. <laughs> they said. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, uh, but it, yeah, it's this, it's this, it's this very interesting thing that like I I said this a lot with Exegol, but like it's it's really this, it's really all three of them. The throne room scene, even though it is a classic element of a Star Wars content, is a piece of content is designed to put the heroes and even a little bit the audience out of their element. Yes. It's designed to feel, um, as Palpatine would call it, unnatural. Yeah. Because that's the, you know, that's what the dark side is. The pathway to many abilities. Some, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, but yeah. Uh, do you want to get into like the general um, Phantom Apprentice? Yeah, yeah. Let's get into that first one. Yeah, in Phantom Apprentice, we, you know, we get this confrontation, this back and forth between Ahsoka and Maul. And yep. so much of that, I mean, there's a couple important elements in there to focus on. So one of them is something that is sort of, is subtext basically up until this point, but then it sort of becomes made text, which is the ways in which Ahsoka and Maul are these kind of mirror characters to each other. Yeah, You know, Maul has that line where he says, uh, you know, you were motivated to leave by the hypocrisy of the Jedi Council. We were both tools for greater, greater powers. powers. I wrote that down as well. You could almost call them two that are one. Yes. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's a it's a it is a staple of throne room scenes in general for the villain to cast a similarity between them and the hero. Look at the. There's an actually there's a sleeper throne room scene I just thought of that takes place on the exact same in the exact same place as another one of the throne room scenes we're talking about, which is Kylo and Rey on the wreckage yes. of the Death Star Two. Mm-hmm. Darkness is in our nature. Rey. Yep. Yep. We are both. We are. That it. We'll get to the other. Um, thing which is not really referenced as much in phantom apprentice but is heavily referenced in both return of the jedi and the rise of skywalker which is this idea that the dark side is inevitable yes that no matter what our heroes do it's not really gonna matter because the dark side's coming uh but and, and of course that's wrong but like there there's yeah there's this idea of casting you know, similar, and even, and even like, you know, even in The Last Jedi, uh, hey, Ray, you're nothing. I was thrown away like I was nothing. Yes. Look at how similar we are. You should join me. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I remember even when I watched it the first time, when the Phantom, when Phantom Apprentice first, um, premiere like that line when maul was talking about you know we were both tools for greater powers that whole notion like that, that they were both used and sort of then discarded like even then i thought about how like at a at almost or very close to the same point in the timeline like in revenge of the sith if you hop over there you know you've got palpatine you know talking to anakin the opera scene telling him the sith and the jedi are alike in almost in every, almost way. every way including and the then you've got for greater power yeah, and then you've got these two people who are like representations of that, like like two people who are like used in the context of this war, this greater struggle, and then were ultimately cast aside. Um, and I, I find it interesting, interesting. And I find it interesting also that they're both in these grand places. You know, they're at the opera and they're at the the throne room. However, the throne room, as we've seen it 
has not just been a throne room, it's also been a battleground as well. Yes. Because, because you know, Maul cut off Previsla's head there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure there have been other battles and war sequences because Mandalore's a warrior planet, and that's how it works on that planet. And I find it interesting that, like, you know, here are Palpatine and Anakin up in the, like, as Thrawn would call it, the great theater of war. <laughs> but, and here is and and here is Ahsoka and Maul down here. They're both doing the same thing, but Palpatine and Anakin are doing the more classy and grand thing. And Ahsoka and Maul are fighting out in a places where blood has literally been spilled. Yes. Um, and I, I love that in there. I also wrote down that we were both tools for greater power moments. Um, Palpatine doesn't do that, perhaps be, uh, as much as say, Maul or a Kylo or a Vader does, perhaps because he realizes how unsimilar to, like, every other Star Wars character that he is. Yes. Um, that, and, yeah, and we'll talk about Rise of Skywalker Palpatine and how chef's kiss he is. Yes. Um, but, like, um, but, like, that's what I love about Palpatine. It's like, you know, um, uh, actually, I'll just, I'll just jump ahead to this. This is a detail I never noticed until now, but it holds such thematic depth that I love so much. Um, so, uh, ah- Ahsoka asks Maul if Darth Sidious is behind this great change in the galaxy that he references. Mm-hmm. And he I think says, I know what you're going to say because I have it in my notes too. He is behind everything in the shadows, always. Always in the shadows. The reverse order is said by Leia in the Rise of From Skywalker the very about, beginning. about Palpatine's return. That is just beautiful. It gets even more beautiful when you realize that that line wasn't recorded for the Rise of Skywalker. It was recorded for The Force Awakens. Because oh, that's a Leia line. So it actually probably wasn't being used to reference Palpatine, but now it is. Yeah, and it works so well. It works perfectly it, it is it is one of those eerie coincidences because if you think about it rise of skywalker and the siege of mandalore probably were being developed around the same time yeah i wonder how like i wonder if that's just a crazy coincidence or i wonder if there was some communication i wonder i mean like i i know that dave was involved somewhat on the set of rise of skywalker because the whole um the whole all the Jedi scene was like kind of a collaboration between him and JJ. But anyway, point being, it's crazy to me the coincidence that Maul recognizes what Leia would eventually, and that, and that's why again that's why I love Palpatine's return so much is because of because it's not about Palpatine as a person. It's about Palpatine as a concept. Yes. It's about what, rep- Pal- what Palpatine represents. It's about the whole, like, evil will always find a way to return. Yes. Um, but Palpatine's return, of course, you know, there's that line from the behind the scenes of The Rise of Skywalker. More than a clone, but less than a man. Palpatine gives up what little humanity he has left. Um, I-, I guess you could say he made a deal with the devil, but then that means... <laughs> like, I'm not exactly sure where that would put Palpatine, because... Palpatine's the guy who is best friends with the devil. Yes. Uh, so you know what? I'm just gonna I'm just gonna leave it there. Yeah, it's it's great. I love that. Um, I love that parallel with Palpatine. 
Absolutely. Um, and then, you know, the other important thing to talk about in the context of what happens in Phantom Apprentice and the throne room there is to get to that point about when I was talking about throne room tropes, about revelation, where you've got Maul on the one hand sort of telling Ahsoka like two different things. So one sort of reaffirming that like Darth Sidious, you know, go to, to go back to the line that we just talked about, like that Darth Sidious is sort of behind everything that has happened that, you know, he says, you know, it's uh, like that the Republic has already fallen, like, you know, the time of the Jedi has passed and all that. And then also the revelation about Anakin and that he yeah. says, well, like he's been groomed this whole time as my master's new apprentice. Yeah. And that, Ahsoka, that, that, that is the thing that causes Ahsoka to kind of turn against Maul because she doesn't believe it. And for me, like that moment sort of parallels what, in my opinion, I would make the case for is the most important scene in the prequel trilogy. And that is in Attack of the Clones, the conversation between Obi-Wan and Count Dooku. What Duke if I told you that the Republic was under the control of a Sith Lord? Exactly. Yeah. 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 Because you've got in that scene, Dooku basically like spelling out the plot of the prequels, basically being like, there's this guy, Darth Sidious, he controls the Senate. And hey, remember all that stuff in Phantom Menace? Yeah, that was him too. Like, he's like, the, and yeah, the, the Jedi can't see it because and, the dark and, side has blinded and, them. And we parallel back to Rise of Skywalker again, where Palpatine, um, and, and with the help of Poe and Beaumont in the, on the Agent Claus scene, we realize that Palpatine was, again, behind their events of the entire trilogy. Yes. Once again, because that's what he does. Yeah. And then in both of those scenes, our heroes, Obi-Wan and Ahsoka, just sort of refuse to accept that truth that is being offered to them. Like, our yeah. Darksiders are telling them what is happening, what we know is happening, but they won't accept it. Yeah. Speaking of the whole your vision is flawed idea, which is, I, I think, I was trying to figure out for myself... You know, there are landmark lines in both of the other scenes for mm -hmm. me. You know, the obvious one is in Return of the Jedi. You failed, Your Highness. I am a Jedi like my father before me. And then I have two for Rise Skywalker, of course, the uh, I am all the Jedi, but yes. also the all you want is for me to hate, but I won't. And I was yes. trying to figure out what the landmark moment for the Return of the Jedi, for the Phantom Apprentice scene was. And I think the your vision is flawed moment is the landmark moment oh. for that scene. And here's an interesting revelation I made. There is no vision received in a Star Wars piece of content that I can think of that is entirely correct. That's a good All point. of the visions have something wrong. Even Moles. Because while Anakin is a very important part of Palpatine's plan, in my opinion... Kill Anakin right now, and Palpatine's plan still goes through. Yeah, because he can still do Order sixty six. Order sixty six is that. still executed. Palpatine still takes control of the Senate. I'm not relegating Anakin's importance uh, in in the plot. Anakin was very important, but this is Palpatine. He plays seven D chess. Yes, he never has he never has a plan without six million backup plans. Yes. And so, you know, you, you know, whether it's Maul and, and misreading how important Anakin is, whether it's, you know, Luke misreading that his friends being in danger is actually a trick from Darth Vader, whether it's even Kylo in Last Jedi misreading the importance of Rey's parents in the story, you know, 
all of, all of there's never a vision in Star Wars that is completely 100% correct. There's a there's a fortune cookie from a Clone Wars episode that we were just recording. I forget what it was. Something about those who control the future, like seeking to control the future being a bad pathway. Mm-hmm. And it's proven by every single vision in Star Wars having something wrong with it. Yeah. I mean, you can even think like the back and forth that Ahsoka and Maul have where like Maul, you know, he's talking about Anakin. He says like, he's the key to everything. And then Ahsoka says like, to bring balance to the force. And he says to destroy. Like he's seeing only part of the picture. Like Anakin is ultimately destined to bring balance once he he destroys Palpatine. But Maul is only seeing the first part of the story. I would like to go back a little bit in the scene um, where, um, you know, uh, Maul says, justice is merely the construct of the current power base, a base which, according to my calculations, is about to change. Um, And it brought me back. Have you seen the Freddie Prinze Jr. rant? I think you've probably seen the Freddie Prinze Jr. rant. Yeah, I, I know of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's one line, and, and it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. It's a, I'll link down to it in the description. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, he, Freddy just kind of goes on about Star Wars and themes and what he learned from Dave Filoni. Um, <laughs> my favorite part about it is the 6,000 times he goes, George Lucas's words, not mine. <laughs> um, but the one that's the... the, the um, the part that constantly sticks out to me, he's comparing the Star Wars character archetypes to the other storytelling archetypes. And so he goes, Maul, he's Sisyphus! Learn your Greek yes. mythology! Maul is Sisyphus! He is born to fail! Yes. This is the moment where Maul demonstrates his Sisyphean nature. His, his you know, Sisyphus, the man who rules the boulder up the hill, and just as he's managing to get some leeway, the boulder falls back down on him, and he's doomed to repeat that cycle for eternity. Um, Maul, you know, and I was trying to think, why can't Maul really succeed in anything? He tries that, and this is his post-Phantom Menace after, like, the revival and all that kind of Mm -hmm. stuff. And I, I realized, he can't get anyone to trust him. Yeah. I mean... You know, Sidious trust can't Maul can't get Sidious to trust him because Sidious trusts no one because he's a creature of pure dark side energy. He can't get Ahsoka to trust him because Ahsoka, you know, sees his true nature. He can't get Ezra to trust him in Rebels because, well, Ezra has first of all he has a heart of gold. He he his heart is always in the right place, and he also receives plenty of stranger danger training from Kanan. Um. <laughs> It's crept into my head. It crept into my head. I couldn't not. Um, but he it's gets good. Tra- it's good. It, it, he, he gets plenty of training from Kanan, so he recognizes. I mean, it, he gets close, you know. Um, but you know, he never gives in to the dark side temptations laid at his feet by Maul. Um, and it's interesting that Maul can't. It's interesting to me that Maul can't get anybody to trust him. And you know, I realized that, like, you know, trust. Like everything, going to really this is the very Rise of Skywalker conversation, which is like the whole like why can't the dark side ever win? Mm-hmm. It's because you know the like you know just like dark side qualities are completely alien to the light side, mm-hmm. 
light side qualities are completely alien to those completely submerged in the dark. So there's no trust, there's no friendship, there's no love, there's none of that. And Maul cannot get anybody to trust him because he is still clinging to the dark side, which can't do any of that. Yeah. And in addition to all that, and, you know, we'll get back, you know, we'll talk about this again as a thematic thing when we get to Exegol. There's also no, on the dark side, there's also no growth and change. Yep. Maul just keeps repeating everything, but he never learns from the mistake. He does not learn. Yeah. He, I, mean, and, I mean, he learns, no, he does learn. He learns in all the wrong ways. Yeah. He, uh, it was a tweet I sent out of maybe a few months ago that, like, the, the, the Sith keep building better Death Stars. Yes, that's exactly what I was going to say. They, they, that's not the way they get better. Maul keeps figuring out different ways to gain power. Building a crime syndicate. Building, you know, a collection of crime syndicates. Uh, striking directly at, um, at Palpatine and Obi-Wan like he does in Rebels. That's not the point. It's not the growth as a strategist. It's the growth of the person, which the Sith are fundamentally unable to get. One more thing I got in here. The time of the Jedi has passed. They cannot defeat Sidious, but together, you and I can. Um, which is the great Star Wars villain trope of completely missing the point of the situation. Yeah. Which is that the Jedi can't defeat Sidious not because they're incapable of it, but because they've rendered themselves in a situation where they can't do it. But they're the ones that put themselves there. They can as easily, in my opinion at least, get themselves out of the situation that put them there. Stop their, you know, blind obedience to a code that's, you know, that the code that more often than not's failed them. You know, time it is for you to look past a pile of old books. Yes. Um, yes. It, and, you know, if Jacob were here, he would be, he'd be harping on and on about how the Jedi lost their way. But it's true. The Jedi, you know, the Jedi didn't, you know... One of the things um, Freddie Prince Jr. talks about in his rant is how, you know, the video games had left people astray. And I'm a big Star Wars gamer, but even I admit that, like, you know, it's not... The Jedi... The reason the Jedi lose to Palpatine is not because the Jedi's power is 9,000 and Palpatine's power is 10,000. That's not yeah. how it works. The reason the Jedi lose to Palpatine is because the Jedi have symbolically failed themselves. The, the Jedi have, have have left the door hanging wide open for the dark side to come through because they're not focusing on the, the true power of the light side. They're just, you know, focusing on the, the, the Jedi and the order of it all. Yeah, exactly. Um... When they exit the, the throne room, Ahsoka enters through the lighter part of the throne room and Maul leaves he breaks out of the room through a dark mural, just in case you weren't sure who was the good guy in the back. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you got anything else? Or should we should we move on to the Return of the Jedi? No, we can move on to uh, yeah, move on to the Death Star. Actually, let me just um, if we're talking about colors here, um, let's notice how Luke, Vader, and Palpatine at the beginning of Return of the Jedi are all wearing the same color. Yeah, they're all in black. Because, and that is, and that shows that in this scene, in the Maul and Ahsoka scene, it's very clear who's good and who's bad. 
in the the Death Star 2 at the very beginning, even though we know the ending and even though, you know, Joseph Campbell and Hero's Journey and all that kind of stuff, we don't know who is truly good and truly bad. Um, and Luke's and Vader's allegiances change quite a few times um, in the course of this sequence, which, by the way, I'm going to tell you right now, this sequence is my favorite sequence in Star Wars, period. It's why Return of the Jedi is my favorite Star Wars movie. It's why... It's why... It's probably why the original trilogy is probably cemented as my favorite era, if not my favorite trilogy, because... Yeah, everything on the throne room in Return of the Jedi is just so good. Again, I could watch this scene probably five times and come out with completely different notes each time. Yeah. Um, but I, I just got the... Um, the notes I have this time, which I think are pretty good. Um, one of the things I actually uh, love about this scene is how it changes the game of the trilogy. The game of the trilogy before the Death Star sequence, pretty much, with some exceptions with the Dagobah scene earlier, was to kill Darth Vader. That's what we thought yes. the end of the trilogy was going to be. But when the opportunity was to save Vader, not kill him, it fundamentally changes what the entire trilogy is about. It, yeah. It's also very interesting because I started, you know, when I was watching Star Wars for the first time, I had the luxury, this was many years after the original trilogy had been released, I had the luxury of, like, you know, sitting down and watching them all uh, sequentially, the original trilogy. And by the end of Empire, I was thinking... What would happen if Luke killed Vader? I mean, it would be a victory, I guess, but such a victory would probably feel pretty hollow. It, it didn't feel like that was where the trilogy was going, which right. I think was interesting. Yeah, because like even in on the Dagobah scene in Return of the Jedi, when Luke is talking to Obi-Wan, like Obi-Wan presents him with like two options. He's like, you got to go face Darth Vader. You got to take him down. You know, Luke says, I can't kill my own father. And then he's like, then the emperor is already won. Like, he gives him like two options. Like you either strike down Vader and that's how you win, or you don't do that. And it's all over. And Luke is showing up there with, you know, with the hope that the third option is going to work. Yeah. It's interesting to me that you bring up that scene because it's, because I think it, it's an interesting idea that not until the sequel trilogy have the Jedi really realized their true morals, I guess you could say. Like, I think too often the idea that the Jedi lost their way in the prequel trilogy and then reformed in the original trilogy is thrown around. Yeah. But that is not the case. No. Yoda and Obi-Wan, although they're better in the original trilogy than in the prequel trilogy, make some questionable decisions. They make the same assumption. Of, I've, I've talked about this on my show. Um, they have the same assumption of Anakin that Palpatine does. Because Palpatine tells Luke, like, by now you must know your father can never be turned from the dark side, so will it be with you. Yeah. Yoda and Obi-Wan believe the same thing about Anakin. They think he's gone. Yeah. And it's interesting to me that, you know, when we get to the sequel trilogy with Leia and Luke, Neither are really truly willing to believe, maybe Luke when he's all cranky in his exile, but mm -hmm. neither of them, for most of the trilogy, are willing to truly believe that Ben's gone. Yeah. Here's something also I've brought up a few times, probably just on Twitter, or maybe even on In a Galaxy in general. The idea that, you know, the there are more of us Poe scenes from The Red yes. Skywalker. 
if anybody tries to do that for the dark side, I will be angry. I will be really angry. Because that is entirely antithetical to the dark side. The dark side can never have a there are more of us moment. It doesn't work because the dark side is is not unity. It's not togetherness. Like, you know, there's jumping a little bit to the Rise of Skywalker. We get the sense that when they're talking about the I am all the Sith, I am all the Jedi thing, mm-hmm. that all of the Sith are literally living in Palpatine. We're talking about there's that old uh, there's that old Twitter debate. I don't know if you've seen it about Ray being a vessel. Yeah. Which I despise, but that's another topic. If we're looking at the scene, it's not Ray who's the vessel. It's Palpatine who's yes. the vessel. Yes. Palpatine you know, I think of the Geonosians, who are not, like, specifically dark side, but, like, they are, they fight against the good guys enough so we can call them that. They literally have a hive mind. They're yeah. literally, it's not a togetherness, it's like a, it's a one brain, it's an I, 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 it's a me, me, me. But Rey, Rey's not the vessel in that scene, because all the Jedi are behind her. Yeah. They are, they're guiding her, they're not in her, it's still her choice. It's still yes. her choice to make, and it's still her actions to take. Palpatine and the dark side, just in general, can never have that because, you know, look at <laughs> my favorite thing about my favorite things about the scene. Just talking about like things that just make me laugh over and over again. Look at Palpatine's expression after the first time he says "your friends." He like he he gets really disgusted, like the idea idea of having friends is abhorrent to him yeah i mean like when, when like the, there's that back and forth between him and luke like your overconfidence is your weakness your faith in your friends is yours yeah it, it and and it reminds me jumping franchises a little bit i'm not so sure how familiar you are with harry potter I am. if you know the scene from the end of the movie of deathly hallows part two yeah where voldemort awkwardly gives that yes, hug to yes, come out. Yes. that is that that is yes. Voldemort trying to understand what this whole friendship yes. thing is. He can't understand it, but the key difference between Voldemort and Palpatine in that situation is I'm led to believe that Voldemort had the chance to understand it. Palpatine, the whole point of his character, is that he never had the chance to understand it because he is the living representation of everything dark. There, and, you know, sort of going to your um, to your point that you were talking about, about, like, the dark side and possession and all that. Like, you know, we get in that scene, like on the throne room, what for me is probably the most chilling Palpatine line spoken like anywhere in Star Wars, which is when he says, you like your father are now mine. Yeah. Um, like, yeah, that is just, it, it's such a like, it's such a foreboding thing to think about. Like the notion of like being possessed. I mean, like we'll come back to that, obviously when we talk about Exegol too. Um, I was curious uh, to ask you, so obviously like a big part of like the early part of that throne room scene is, you know, the whole temptation of Palpatine, like trying to goad Luke into taking his Jedi weapon and, you know, striking him down. And, you know, he has that part where he says like, strike me down with all of your hatred and your journey towards the dark side will be complete. Do you read, do you read that scene differently now post Rise of Skywalker and like all the Sith ritual stuff there? It's interesting that you answered that. The answer is no, Mm -hmm. because while the, you know, my spirit will pass into you is an interesting, like, lore idea. I like that because of the cold craziness of the Star Wars lore thing. Really, what I read that scene from Rise of Skywalker as and what I read the scene as Return of the Jedi is, is ultimately the same thing. If you kill them using your anger, you are no better than they are. 
Right. That you might as well, you know, there's that sense of false equivalency. There's that sense of, if you do the same thing they are, you're basically them. Yeah. And the spirit of possum to you thing is pretty cool because of the whole force rituals. And I'm, I'm, I love that crazy stuff. But thematically, it doesn't really change anything for me because the scenes, in my opinion at least, are saying the same thing. Yeah, um, no, I think you're right. And it's interesting, that whole, like... And I understand the whole... And, and this is why I actually quite enjoy the idea of the whole Ray Palpatine subplot in The Rise of Skywalker. You know, when Luke says, when Palpatine says to Luke, take your Jedi weapon, use it, I am unarmed, strike me down with it. You get the sense that it's, it would be so easy for Luke to crack and yeah. kill him. I mean, n- not really because Vader would do the strike and like he does there. Either way, if Vader wasn't there, it would be so easy for Luke to be tempted by that. And it's <laughs> interesting for me because of the whole Ray Palpatine idea. It would be so easy. You know, Ryan Johnson talked about in the behind scenes of Last Jedi about how, oh, Ray being related to a bloodline would be too easy of an answer for her. But if it's a dark side bloodline like the Palpatine bloodline, it makes sense because easy is the point. Yeah. If you do what Vader did, if you choose the quick and easy path, which is why that subplot of Nine is so interesting to me because... It's it, it makes the choice right there and so easy. It's presented on a silver platter. She's in the the ruins of Desar Two on Kefir. She's presented with what she could be if she chose that path, but she resists anyway because she's all the Jedi and she's awesome and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, there's two points to go off of that. What you just said. So one is you know you talked about. Luke and Palpatine and how easy it would have been for him to strike Palpatine down. I don't think we like talk enough about that moment because like usually when we're talking about the Death Star throne room scene, like we sort of talk about, you know, in the context of temptation, what happens later on when, you know, Luke turns on Vader and we'll get to that. But like we kind of gloss over the fact that like he Palpatine holds out the bait there and Luke takes it. He takes his lightsaber and is about to go to Palpatine. I mean, he holds it out several times. He takes it the final time. Yeah. The temptation is there every single time. Yeah. And that in some ways, like, I was going to say this sort of towards the end of talking about um, the Return of the Jedi scene, but I can bring it up now. Like, I think, like, an important moral of, I would say, this is sort of throughout Star Wars, but I think particularly in the Death Star 2 throne room scene is that the dark side is not stronger. We know that. Yoda tells us that. It is, however, powerful. Yes. And it would not be tempting if it weren't. So, like, if you want to use the dark side to take down your enemies, you can do that. If you want to use the dark side to cheat death, as we discovered with Maul, with Vader, with with Palpatine, Palpatine. you can do that. Like, it is not stronger than the light, but it's very, very powerful. Of course, the flip side of that is, what are you, that we've discussed many times on In the Galaxy, there's that line, um, I keep bringing this up, um, uh, um, Yoda says at the end of Grievous, not Grievous and Trick, Lair of Grievous, mm-hmm. in this war, a danger there is of losing who we are. What are you willing to do to get that much power? You know, you can cheat death, sure. What's yeah. that gonna do? Palpatine's living, you know, as I referenced before. More than a clone, less than a man. He basically has all of his plans foiled before they can even start. 
um, in Rise of Skywalker, you know, Maul goes on his Sisyphus road where he can never get a plan to work because it'll just come crashing down on him. Vader's living in a living a tortured existence for 20 years um, and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, you know, like, even before we get to the stuff on the Death Star, like, there's the whole back and forth that Vader and Luke have on Endor just before that. And, you know, there's that moment where Vader... late for me, son. Yeah, there's that moment where Vader tells Luke, you don't know the power of the dark side. There's a case to be made that he's right. That maybe Luke does show up on the Death Star a little naive, and that it's all that stuff that happens there. The temptation from Palpatine, then what he almost does, you know, in striking Vader down, and, and all of that. That does kind of give Luke a lesson in that, like, yeah, this is really powerful. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think, you know, there's that idea, we just brought this up on last week's episode, or two weeks ago episodes, we're recording this out of order, um, about um, when we were talking about the Trandosha arc, about yes. when we about the Waska, about on Waska, this natural dark side, um, which is that the dark side can appear in many forms. And when, and I like to think of, I like to think um, when, uh, Vader tells Luke, you don't know the power of the dark side. He's not only flashing to the Death Star, but he's mm -hmm. also talking to Luke's exile on Octo, which oh. is a completely different kind of dark side, but is still the dark side. I mean, I don't think like, I don't think there, I, I don't think I'm crazy enough to say like, oh, Luke turned to the dark side on Octo. No, 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 that's not the point. But Luke, you know, for the briefest moment of pure instinct, may have succumbed a little bit to one of his temptations. Yeah, um, and I'm glad you put that, I'm glad you quoted that because the, the the symmetry between like him almost killing his nephew and him almost killing his father, mm -hmm. where it's like- as Or you Palpatine. Said, like, yeah, or even that, like for the briefest moment of pure instinct, I thought I could stop him. Like here are these people that he thinks are gonna like kill, take away like everything and everyone that he loves. And he thinks like, I can I can stop it. And yeah. yeah um, it never goes well for him. Yeah. It passed like a uh, fleeting shadow and I was left with shame and with consequence. Yeah, that seems so great. Um, it's too good. It's too good. Um, yeah. Uh, I also love that line. This is all, this is, um, uh, I remember, I don't know if you've seen this clip, um, when it's Sam Witwer on some panel stage. Mm -hmm. He's talking about doing their like the Force Unleashed people when they were doing the Force Unleashed. Asked, uh, he asked them if he could do the Emperor. Yeah. And he started reading the Emperor's lines, and he's like, well, that doesn't sound right. And he's like, oh, Ian McDermott's funnier than I am. <laughs> like, some, of, some of his stuff, uh, this is also an idea I've heard uh, Joseph Scrimshaw talk about on uh, Force Center, um, that like Palpatine's hilarious sometimes. Um, and, 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 and there's this amusing moment that's really also just chilling where, uh, right before Luke grabs the lightsaber with the force to strike at Palpatine, he, mm -hmm. go, he taps his chair and he goes, you want this, don't you? And that's such a, it's such a, it's just a dark side thing. You, it's want, not yeah. need, want yes. what you do for yourself. Um, Luke, I'm going to throw this scene on its head right now, which I've never done. I'm a little worried about ruining the scene in my head for me, but then again, nothing can ruin the scene for me, so. Luke's no stranger to wanting a greater life. Remember those twin sons? Yep. That is ultimately 
And this is not a bad thing, but that's ultimately about want. Yes. Now, I would say it's a healthy version of that because mm-hmm. it's Luke, it, because Luke is Luke is still so young and naive and innocent that mm-hmm. he is not going there's no risk of him succumbing to the dark side to do that at that point. Or at least not as much. But Luke wants that greater adventure. We see in Twin Sons. So Luke's no stranger to wanting, as Palpatine would tell Anakin, a life greater than that uh, of any ordinary Jedi. Yeah, I mean, sort of Obi-Wan kind of hints to that idea a little bit on Dagobah, you know, when he talks about, like, um, Luke and his love for his friends, where he says, like, they, like his his feelings for, you know, Han and Lance, where he says, like, they do you credit, but they could be made to serve the Emperor. So this notion, like, you yeah. can start from... A, you know, you can start from a good place, like your heart can be in the right place, but there is that danger that someone's just going to turn that and then use it to bad ends. I had something like that. Oh no, where did I, where was it? Oh yeah, you know, Luke, uh, you know, this is how the dark side gets you, by getting good people to do terrible things to justify ultimately good motives. Yeah. Um, yeah, um, and I, I guess um, the next place I'd love to go. Um, uh, your thoughts betray you. Your feelings are strong, especially for sister. You have a twin sister. Luke goes a little bit overboard, but again, he's as. Brian Johnson and Kelly Marie Tran would say to us, you know, fighting, uh, not fighting what he hates, but saving what he loves. Yeah. But he still goes overboard. He still attacks out of anger. He still uses the force for attack, not knowledge and defense, as Yoda advises him on Dagobah. Um, and there's that very powerful moment where Luke goes, never! And he strikes back. Yeah. I just, uh, that whole, like, that is like with, like, I love the throne room stuff. Like, and then within the throne room stuff, my absolute favorite moment is that when we get that, you know, that panning shot right to left as Luke is on the attack and you've got that, yeah. that variant of the Emperor's theme playing. It's so yeah. good. Uh, we'll get to my favorite pretty soon. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I love that part. Um, yeah. They're just, it's just, it's just great, um, and of course, as I think this is something, something from something you've mentioned on your show about the whole parallels between fighting what we hate, not uh, fighting what we hate, not fighting what we hate, saving what we love, and of course, how Jedi choose to win from rebels. Yes, um, you know, it's the justification of what you want and what you're willing to do to get it. Um, yeah. Um, and then we get this chilling moment, and I never, I never get tired of seeing this, when Luke is slashing at his father, mm-hmm. is slashing at Vader, and he cuts off his hand, and he looks at his glove, Yes. and he thinks to himself, how long is it before I'm in his place? Yeah. He see- and it's a beautiful moment. It is, you know, I... I love Star Wars, and this is a strength of its more than it is a weakness of its. Mm. Sometimes the best symbolism is in your face. Yeah. 
is just right there hiding in plain sight. It's, you know what I mean? Like it's so good to like to go back to the you know what a quarter from the last Jedi. I was left with shame and with consequence. He sees the robot stump from his father, and then he sees his own robot hand. He's like, oh, like I'm becoming him. Uh, you know, that's what I should do. I want to put an edit. I'm sure somebody's done this on YouTube. Put Luke's monologue about Ben from the Last Jedi over that moment from Return of the Jedi. It maps perfectly. That whole discussion, whole thing, you can map right on top of it. Yeah. Um, I also I had this other idea, which is you could probably also do it pretty darn well with Rey and Ben in Rise of Skywalker. Oh. What? And for the briefest moment, catches the lightsaber appear instinct. I thought I could stop it. Stab! Yes! It, it passed, passed like a fleeting shadow. And then Ray, Ray, remember, Ray looks at that moment and she's like, uh, you know, to use the famous Anakin line, what have I done? You know. Yeah. Because yeah. she stabs him and then she senses Leia. And she's like, oh, yeah. shoot, like, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> I shouldn't have done that. Um, and then we get that great line afterwards, which... Ugh, I never cannot appreciate this line because it's so beautiful. When Palpatine tells Pride over hologram, the princess of Alderaan has foiled my plans once again. Love that he calls. I mean, I was gonna say I was gonna say this when we got actually to Rise of Skywalker. Every line from Palpatine in that movie is solid gold. It's gold. Ian McDermott is having the time of his life in that movie. (laughs) He is, he is. I don't care what the heck was going on that set. Anytime Ian McDermott steps in there, beautiful. Yeah. I mean, again, jumping ahead a little bit to the right cover. Long have I waited for my grandchild to come home. It's creepy it is haunting yeah um i i want to get to my favorite part of this entire sequence uh good your hate gives you strength to fulfill you i forget the exact Mm -hmm. never i'll never turn to the dark side you failed your highness i am a jedi like my father before me it's one of the best lines in the entire nine movies. Yes. It is one of the best line deliveries. It is one of the best moments in the entire lo- lo- nine film series. Look, I'll just say this, okay? There are two moments where I cannot help but cheer when watching a Star Wars movie. It's that, and it's Ray Skywalker. Mm. That's it. Those were the two. Those are the two. And it was no different. I was actually just watching the um, Luke one today. It was no different. I, I like it, it. Is such a fist pump moment. Yes. Um. It is. And what I love about it is, you know, it gets deeper every time I watch it because, of course, the triumphant, the the triumphants of Luke proclaiming that he is not going to do the same thing, as his father did, is great. But what's even better is it's not just about Luke believing in himself. It's also about Luke believing in Anakin. Yes. I am a Jedi like my father before me. I have, you know, the Force is strong in my family. I have it. My father has it. And eventually, you know, you have that power too, Leia. Mm-hmm. And Ben, Ben, of course, uh, too. And it's this, you know, he sees the good in himself. He sees the good in his father. 
and he gets his father to see the good in himself. From a boy raised as a slave, constantly being degraded to feel less than, being able to see the good in himself, not as a cosmetic thing like Palpatine, I can offer you the life greater than that of any Jedi, but as an internal value that he is worth something. Yes. Is monumental. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Um, it, it's awesome. And just like the whole, I, I talked about this on a, on a recent episode of my own show, like the symbolism of him throwing away the lightsaber. Like when we go back to a new hope, like he's like, he's given his father's lightsaber and is at that same time, you know, told this story about the Jedi. Like this is the weapon of a Jedi knight. And then, you know, for over a thousand generations, et cetera, et cetera. Not as clumsy or random as a blaster. Yeah. Yeah. So there's this link that Obi-Wan establishes at the beginning between like the object of the lightsaber and the Jedi and their legacy. And then like, what is the most Jedi move he does in the original trilogy? He throws away the lightsaber. Gone. I also, I'd also just thought of this idea, which is, which is great. There's a plot hole um, which that is developed by the prequels that's not a plot hole, and I just realized why it's not, which is genius. So, Obi- so Obi-Wan walks into the room with Count Dooku. Yeah. Um, Anakin's on the floor. I, Obi-Wan doesn't walk in, but like, Anakin's on the floor. Obi-Wan, um, Obi-Wan, Obi-Wan's still standing with his lightsaber drawn. Dooku throws the Force lightning at him, and he absorbs it with his lightsaber. Which, yes. of course... It begs the question, why did Luke not do that in Return of the Jedi? Mm-hmm. That's not a plot hole. That is completely and utterly intentional. Yes. Because the throwing away of that lightsaber... Because I bet, I honestly think, I mean, we probably didn't see this and there's no way to actually prove this. I bet Luke did know about that. I can't imagine a universe where 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 Yoda or Obi-Wan didn't tell him about that. And it makes it even better if he did, because he makes the conscious choice to throw it away anyway. Yeah. It's a beautiful moment there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you got anything else, or do you want to get to Ixigal? I just have one more thing. Um, yeah, go ahead. Um, it's another question. Do you hate the insertion of the Vader no as much as I do? No, I don't. You don't? Probably because I'm so used to it. I mean, I don't think it's good, mm-hmm. but like, it's such a perfect sequence that not even a poorly placed <laughs> no can ruin it for me. I, I I don't hate it as much as you do. No, it's not great. I don't like it, mm-hmm. but like, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I think I'm happy actually, for you because I can't. Stand I'm, it. I'm probably actually. I'll say this: which is worse for you, the first one or the second one? The second one. The, oh really? Because I was going to say the one. first one. No, 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 no. Like, no. What I mean is, he says no twice in that. Scene. Oh, oh yeah. Um. Oh no, yeah. It is the second one. Yeah. Oh, because I was going to say the first one. That's inter- That's weird to me because, like, I understand if Vader goes no, well, shocking him, but I, <laughs> but like, but, but, but well, for Vader to actually physically say no, it's a little strange. It's awkwardly placed. It. it yeah, you um, got a point there. It is kind of awkward. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. But. Yeah. It. It's it's a it's a it's a great sequence. It's it's incredible. Um, yeah, and you know we we wouldn't get here, but like you know 
there's the other great part of the Death Star uh, sequence. You know, tell your sister mm-hmm. you are right about me. You know, it, it's it's such a it's such a it's crazy to see what Anakin has become and and how Anakin ends his life. Uh, by the way, I'm and I mentioned this on our Mortis episode. I gotta mention this again because it's so great. The fact that Anakin spends pretty much an equal time uh, amount of his life on the light side and the dark side, yeah, is the most perfect thing ever, um, and is part of my definition of what the balance of the Force is. Mm. Um, it's it's great. Um, yeah, let's get on to on to Exegol. Rise, all, on to Exegol, which. We've been chomping at the place. bit to get to this, and now I we're know. Here. I, I mean, I have probably more than you have because I just, ugh, I love this stuff. Um, you know, I I've talked about how unnatural it feels, and how you know Lucas has talked about the dark side as a corruption of the Force, um, and you know you see this, you know, in the Last Jedi, you see Octoas's primal light state. But you also see, and then Rise Skywalker, you go to Exegol's this primal dark side yes. planet, um, and uh, and consequently you've you've seen we've seen a little bit of the opposite side's influence on both places. You know, in that little um, montage in the Last Jedi, you know, death and life in between it all, balance. Um, and then in Exegol, I mean, not really as much, but, like, I like to think that, like, we've seen... So in the Darth Vader comic run, uh, of course, uh, I don't know if you've uh, been following it as closely as I have, only because I've been following it for my Ochi of Bestian content. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's no way of getting around that. That's why I was following yes. it. And now he's in War of the Bounty Hunters, and I'm like, yes, thank you. Uh, anyway, but, like, there's we see a little bit more of the exterior of Exegol, and it's made pretty clear that like, you know, the citadel and the 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 temple area is there. There's other stuff like there's this barren wasteland everywhere. It's not like there's not the the citadel is not the whole planet. Yeah, and I'd love to see a little bit more of it. And I'd love to see a light side part of Exegol, cause it's there. Mm. Like, you know, from that little montage, you know, darkness. I mean, that's not actually. It's from the movie though. Darkness rises, like to meet it. Yeah. I I have to believe that there is a light side component to Exegol, just like there's a dark side component to Octo or to Dagobah. Yeah. Um. Though, then again, you know that weird part in Legends where Dagobah was technically considered a dark side planet. No, I don't. So basically the idea and the lore and legends was that Dagobah, by the influence of the dark side cave and some other stuff, was actually supposed to be dark side. But when Yoda went there in Revenge of the Sith, he had such a strong light side pl- presence that it took over the planet. Oh, okay. In the way that when Shakti was exiled on Felucia in Legends, her light side force basically took over the entire planet and when the and when she died to Galen Merrick in the Force Unleashed, it acted like a huge pendulum swing, where the entire planet just become 
became rabid and dark side esque. Oh, okay. it's a practice that doesn't really work so well in canon, but was kind of cool, I guess. <laughs> um. Anyway, yeah. Um. One of the things I love with a mirror of you know. There's that line from Return of the Jedi. With each passing moment, you make yourself more and more my servant. Wrong. I, I wanted... I didn't... I never wanted you dead. I wanted you here, Empress Palpatine. Yeah. Straight up calls her the ruler of the planet. Straight up calls it. Yeah. No pretense. She's already the Empress. Ain't nothing anybody can do about it. Yeah. And, you know, to go back to something you were talking about back when you were talking about Phantom Apprentice, like that notion of Palpatine, there's always a contingency. Plan A was get Kylo Ren to rule and, like, lead the new empire. Oh, he turns to the light, you know, the princess of Alderaan, you know, messes it all up. He doesn't kill Rey. Okay, plan B, Empress Palpatine, get up there. I actually, I actually, I agree with you, except for one minor alteration. I happen to think that both of those plans were kind of his plan, like, He's like, look, I'm gonna send these two like, we're like hunters down the wild. Whichever one manages to get here first, it, it, he's making it like a huge race. Yeah. Whichever one manages to get here first, and with the with the dark side most running through their veins and all that kind of stuff, they're gonna be it. Ray ends up there. Um, you know, Palpatine doesn't offer up the kill the girl thing as like he wants Ray dead. Mm-hmm. Palpatine offers up the kill the girl thing is he wants them to fight. He doesn't care who wins. Yeah. Palpatine always tries to set up win-win scenarios. He kind of does that in Return yeah. of the Jedi too. Like his his logic, you know, in the throne room is like, okay, either option A, Luke kills Vader and then like I have a new apprentice. Awesome. Option two, Vader kills Luke. Well, I'm st- I still have Vader. I still win. Yeah. Um, I also think um, this is an interesting idea. Um, about contingency plans, I want to jump back to Return of the Jedi for a quick second. Yeah. There's that line that I never noticed until this watching of it. Soon I'll be dead and you with me. Yeah. And that idea that Luke and I'm going to say Rey and Ahsoka, but like specifically Luke and Rey, were both prepared to die yeah. for the missions to be complete. Yeah. It was a perspective to specifically the Return of the Jedi scene, but sure the Rise Skywalker scene too, that I never really considered that both of them, you know, they, they'd rather live for it, but they were prepared to die, um, which I think is pretty, it's an, it adds a new, sheds a new light Yeah. on that. And he sort of hints, yeah. Luke sort of hints at that on Endor when he's talking to, like, to Leia, when he's like, if I don't make it, you're the only hope for the rebellion. So he's going up there thinking, like, I might not come back. Yeah. Yep. Um, I, I guess, um, I guess... Um, we can, I, I want to get to one of my favorite lines. All you want is for me to hate, but I won't. Not even you. Ray has every reason in the galaxy to hate Palpatine. For what he did to her parents, what he's trying to do to her, what he did to her dyad bond soulmate whatever whatever you want to call him i'm i like i'm personally not a Raylo, but i'm not offended by people who are mm-hmm. po- point is palpatine ray has every reason to hate palpatine and i would argue even 
that Luke probably hated Palpatine on the Death Star too. Yeah. Ray can't hate Palpatine. Ray is not. She is a. She is a true Jedi in that moment. Yeah. There's that idea. This is an interesting idea I was just thinking about. You know, there's that emphasis on these days, which is a very important emphasis on not just not being racist, but being anti-racist. Yes. It, the sequel trilogy is expansion of the idea of not just not being on the dark side, but actively being on the light side. Yes. Just to make a comparison. I'm not comparing the two. Right, right. Like, but like, I'm just making the analogy of the, the, the light... As much as not being on the dark side is a choice, being on the light side is a different choice. Yeah, there's the... You have to make. Yeah, the the, the famous line from Qui-Gon in Master and Apprentice, like, I choose yeah, the I light. Turn, uh, I turn to the, toward the light because yeah, it's Yeah, or there. even, um, uh, I can't quote it exactly, but I think it's, um, is it Sisker in High Republic? Says something similar like that about, like, the notion of, like, the light is something you have to choose all the time. Something like uh, that. I, I, I'm not as in, as into the High Republic as some people are. Yeah, um, I don't remember who it exactly. There's yeah. somebody. I think it might be him. There's somebody who says something like vaguely similar to like Qui Gon does in Master and Apprentice yeah. about it, the notion it, of the light as a choice. It's a choice you make over and over again. It, you yeah. know, look, look at you know, look at Luke in Last Jedi. He, it, it, you know, just because he said I am a Jedi, as as incredible as that moment is, as much as I love that moment. That is not, I am a Jedi and I can just peace out for the rest of my life. No. We see in The Last Jedi that he, at a certain point, due to some terrible things that happened to him, stopped choosing the light side. Yeah. And look what happened to him. Um, yeah. Uh, we also have uh, the, the dual line, you know, the, the, the line that connects back to this. From all, from all you want me to hate is, uh, but I won't, not even you, weak, like your parents. My parents were strong. They saved me from you. Look, debate all you want about, like, oh, the, the raised parents debacle in Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker, all that. At the end of the day, raised parents were no nobodies in the sense that The impact they had on the galaxy, even if nobody realized it, was a huge one. That they, you know, I'm not going to defend Ray's parents and say they were ultimate angels or anything. Yeah. But they made the choice to save their daughter yeah. through an act of pure love. And that ends up saving the galaxy. Yes. Um, now, could they have could, could they have figured out something a little better than abandoning her on Jakku of all places? <laughs> sure. That's the part where I'm not gonna be not gonna say they're they're perfect angels or anything. But the fact of the matter is, they although their names will never be known, and I really hope they're not known to preserve that part of the Last Jedi. Their impact on the galaxy is immeasurable. Absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, yeah. I also love, this is, this is um, mirroring the Phantom Apprentice about the dark side learning the wrong lessons. 
Luke Skywalker, your master, was saved on the by his on the Death Star by his father. The only family you have here is me. Explain something to Palpatine. It's not a good sign when your blood granddaughter thinks that you are the furthest thing that you have from family. Where's her family? Not with Palpatine. They're up there in the skies fighting the battle, fighting the battle for her to go and defeat the evil Sith Empire. Yeah. They're up there, and they're probably down here too, taking out some some of their former friends that they were really just in charge of who get wasted in three in two movies of but i'm not gonna mourn anymore about my beloved knights of ren either way um but and, yeah i mean even in that scene like there there's a parallel to something earlier in the movie that i've never thought of until this moment like what does zori tell poe like they win by making you think you're they, alone you feel like you're alone palpatine yeah. is trying to do that with ray like the only oh, yeah. family you have here is me you're alone and, like and like, you know, paralleling back to Last Jedi, you're nothing. Yes. Your parents were nothing. That's what, like, look, I know there are some serious Ben Solo stands, and I like his character, but you cannot look at Ben Solo without, you know, you can't look at Ben Solo without seeing how much abuse he's taken. Yes. You also can't see out Ben Solo without seeing, and Kylo Ren, but without seeing how much abuse he's given. Yeah. They're not mutually exclusive. And there, that's not say, that's not to say that Ben's actions are excusable because he was abused, but that's also not to say that like, you know, you get the point I'm saying. Yeah. But like you know, yeah, they win by making you feel like you're alone, like there's nobody there to save you. Yes. Um, all that kind of stuff. But you know, there are always there are always people. Good people will fight if we lead them, yep. Poe says in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, I also like to, this is not really part of this, the symbolism of this, but it's pretty cool symbolism. I love that Ray lands on Exegol in an X-Wing. Yes. And Ben lands in a TIE fighter. This battle that went on, that, that seemed to end 30 years ago, it's, it, keep, it keeps going. It's, it, yep. It, it's, it's, a, it, it going to the point we were making earlier about Luke and the choice you make every single day. Yeah. It's about the like like the same battles keep on being fought. Yeah. So the the, the Maz Kanata line from the Force Awakens, the only fight, the fight against the dark side. It's always it looks I've different. Seen evil take yeah. many forms. The Sith, the Empire first order, but it's the same struggle every single time. Yep. Yeah. Um uh, can I? Uh, I have some other stuff. Do you want to jump in here? Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, there's there's a whole bunch of stuff that you know. I um, you know, I can bring up so here. Great. You know, you've got the you know, there's the the parallel to Return of the Jedi. You know, when he's showing Ray the destruction of the Resistance, the same way that he shows Luke the destruction of the Alliance in that way yeah. to sort of uh, get him to to tempt him uh, to tempt both of them to turn. Um, you know, when, you know, when Ben shows up and the two of them are sort of, uh, you know, facing him down side by side, like there's that whole element, you know, when he discovers the dyad, like, like, that's a great moment where it's like, up until this whole point, like, like through this all, like he's willing to like, let Ray kill him, you know, saying like, like you want to kill me. That is what I want until he realizes he doesn't have to. And he's like, oh shit, like. 
the dyad. <laughs> this is great. Hey, you just gift wrapped me another backup plan. Yes. Yay. Um, yeah. Um, I want to go a little back, which is sure. oh, this this part is. I know people talk about this line. This is line is the best thing, and I and I kind of love this line. I know people hate it. I I just love it. Ben's running. He jumps down into the temple. He falls on a statue. Ow. That moment, that, I know people are, are, are some people are mad about Al being the last line of Ben Solo. I could not adore that more, and here's why. What would Kylo Ren have done? We see what he did in The Force Awakens. You know, beats his chest, the blood pours yes. out of there. He refuses to acknowledge pain. Slammed against the statue of uh, some Sith or something. He's Ben Solo now. Ow. He feels hurt. Oh, that's a good he point. He allows himself to feel hurt. Yeah, yeah. He allows himself to feel the pain. That Kylo Ren's dead. You know, there's that line that Han says in that just beautiful scene. Kylo Ren is dead. My son is alive. Absolutely. Ben is alive. Why? Because he can feel. Yeah, that's such there's a good that, point. There's that line, um, referencing back to Harry Potter, I seem to do this a lot. Um, at the end of Goblet of Fire, Harry, suffering like this proves you're still a man. <sighs> Kylo is allowed to feel things. Ben is allowed to feel things now. You know, it, it, it's not wiping away the, the abuses that happened earlier and all that kind of stuff, but... But but Ben Solo's final line being "ow," although it seems a little bit like really, it's it's really great because it's it's allowing Ben to feel things like he never allowed to feel before. You know, he the closest he got is that scene from Force Awakens. I feel it again, the pull to the light, but he's trying to resist. He's clenching so bad. There's none of that clenching anymore. Ow, he feels the pain. Yeah, I've never thought of it in that way, but I love that interpretation of it. <laughs> it's I I I was thinking I've been thinking about that for a while. Um yeah. Um and, you know, to to go back to, you know, what we were talking about before about like Ian McDermott having the time of his life and this movie like I love when he's like when you get he is. Yeah, when you get, yeah, basically like is. like right around that point or a little bit after, you know, when he's talking about, you know, Ray is about to do the Sith ritual and he goes like, The Jedi are dead. Like, so and, good. Yeah. No, wait, we gotta talk about the best delivery. That I know I don't care anything. I know he had fun saying. Make the sacrifice. Yes. But not the not that line, the line he says before that. Do it! <laughs> Make the sacrifice! <laughs> I know he understood the reference. I know he did I, I know they all understood the reference. <laughs> I just I'm just imagining JJ and Chris Terrio being like, Chris is like, JJ, we're gonna do this. And JJ's like, yeah. yeah man, we're gonna do this. It's like the it's like the scene, um you've seen the Mandalorian behind the scenes season two documentary. Yeah. When John Favreau and Dave Filoni are talking about McClunky, <laughs> that's JJ and Chris Terrio yes. behind the scenes. Like... Except for except for when Dave t- tells Favreau he can't put it in. No, Chris is J- uh, Chris is like or JJ or whatever. Chris is like, we're gonna put it in. Jay's like, heck yeah, we're gonna put it in. Yeah, um, and I mean, yeah. if if we're on the subject of like 
great Palpatine lines. And again, there's so many in this movie. Like, I got to shout it out now, even though, like, it's a little bit ahead from where we're talking right now. Like, as once I fell, so falls the last Skywalker. I love it's so petty. It's so petty. It's it's funny that you mentioned that. Yeah. Because, yeah, this was six months ago. I was rewatching The Rise of Skywalker recently, as you do. And one of the great things uh, and one of the things i was most struck by is how great palpatine's utter pettiness was as once uh, as i once fell so falls the last skywalker is up there with you will pay the price for your lack of vision <laughs> yes. is as one of the greats i so it's it's not only funny to me that we reference the same line but we also both talked about it as being so petty yeah it's it's the it's the greatest um yeah um, I also, this is another thing, uh, that's awesome. Um, I, we, we can talk all day about, and I know this is directly connecting, but it is, and you'll see why, about how great the There Are More Of Us sequence is. Yes. Because it's beautiful. And the whole, uh, um, the whole coda to that scene, which is, what is this? They have no Navy. There's no Navy, sir. It's just people. So good. So but cool. let's let, let's cast another contrast that I was thinking about. Palpatine has a bunch of Sith cultists and people on Exegol that he brainwashed and mind-tricked into serving. Yeah. The Jedi and the Resistance, they don't need no mind-tricks. They don't need no brainwashing. They don't need any of that. All they need is the spark. Yeah. Luke lit it in The Last Jedi, you know, with his stance. And, you know, the Sith, the Sith only get what they want by hoodwinking, by tricking, by manipulating. Yeah. But the Jedi don't need that. Um, and, yeah, it's, it, it, it's, it's interesting to see, you know, when Rey defeats Palpatine, all of the Sith disciples in that arena, um, they just all, like, like, the rubble all explodes onto them. Yeah. Which implies to me, at least, that this whole Exegol thing was, like, this whole, like... Basically, like, big magic trick. Big, like, facade. And that once you take away, like, to reference the Wizard of Oz, the man behind the curtain... Yeah. That it just all falls down. Yeah. But the Resistance? No, those are actual people up there. Yeah, it sort of goes back to the the point you made earlier about like the hive mind. Like you take out the yeah. master, everyone else just they're gone, gone too. And then the last thing I have is the climax of the scene and really the statement. Um, actually, I, actually, I have one more thing before that. Actually, never mind. Um, you are nothing. A scavenger girl is no match for the power in me. It's one of the most interesting parts in the movie, and here's why. I find it interesting that people so willingly go from the the like that 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 we go from in Last Jedi, you're nothing. Yeah. Rise of Skywalker, you're a Palpatine. Yeah. Back to you're nothing. Yes. Again. Yes. And it's and one time the comedic part of me like, okay, Dark Side Playbook 101. Okay, everyone, read this really good. You are nothing. <laughs> or 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 or. Okay, which one are you going to use? Method one or method two? Method two. Okay, method two. 
the darkness is in your bloodline. You are victim to it. You know, yeah. it, there, there are these two given strategies. Um, but like kind of the thematic side, like, you know, the whole, they win by making you feel alone idea, the whole, like anything the dark side can do to make you feel less than yeah, they will do. They will do without mercy. Yeah. Especially, yeah. especially and particularly when you are no longer of any use to them. Because like before oh, yeah. when Rafer shows up, he's like, you know, Empress Palpatine. Hey! You'll, yeah, like, you'll, I've been waiting for you. The throne is yours. It's in our blood. Once she rejects him, like, you're nothing. Like, you've got no power. Yeah. Um, and of course, we have the statement line of this entire sequence for me. Foolish girl, I am all the Sith, and I pulls lightsaber. Mm -hmm. I'm all the Jedi. Boom. Yeah. If there's a if there is a you know Ray for me is a very much of a a lot of a culmination. You know. Yes. Anybody can be a hero. The reluctant smuggler, um, who turns up at the last moment uh let's blow this thing and go home you know yeah the son of a dark lord of the sith who gets his father to be redeemed some person who was taken some nobody who was taken from their family and but but walks away from the evil life they would choose to serve in hope of something greater like finn and of course a palpatine who was abandoned in the desert who shows up years later to take the final uh, to to take the fight back to the to her abusers? Yeah, um, yeah. I'm, I'm glad you made that point because that gets to something that I sort of firmly believe, and I know this is like like a, you know a big thing about the sequel trilogy and like a big point of contention. But like I, I sort of this is like a, a hill I'll die on, and sort of something that I stand on. Like you know, with the whole like debate about you know Ray Nobody versus Ray Palpatine, I will submit, and again, I, I stand by this. Like, if the moral of Ray Nobody is that anyone can be a hero, that is also the moral of Ray Palpatine. Yes, they are Absolutely, they are contradictions in fact, but thematically they're the same. Yeah, and if they're thematically they're the same, the thing is, if they're the, thematically the same, you can mess, you can figure out the factual things pretty easily. Yeah, if thematically they lock into place, you can figure out the. Um, everybody has, I know a lot of people have their different ideas as to why, as to how to make that work. Um, if, if you want to mess around with the logistics of that, the best place, I think there's an incredible episode of Force Center with Joseph Scrimshaw, where he lays out his idea for how to make Ray Nobody and Ray Palpatine both work, um, in their same bubbles. But I totally agree with you. Um... You know, I, as we, as I feel like I can't really talk about the Death Star 2 scene mm -hmm. without talking about, um, without talking about, uh, the, you were right about one, you, yes. you were right about me. I don't feel like I can t talk about I'm All the Jedi without talking about Ray Skywalker. Yeah. Um, a few minutes later, which is my favorite moment in the entire trilogy. I'm going to say it right now. It's my favorite moment in the entire trilogy. Um, I don't think I've really gone into that much detail. I'll just say this. I'm so excited for all the little girls who watch that moment and see 
oh yeah, I can be a Skywalker too. Mm-hmm. Um, that is the biggest thing for me. Um, and I, I, and I love that, you know, another great thing about the trilogy is throughout the entire trilogy, everybody has tried to define who Rey is for her. Yeah. But this is the first moment that she act- actively gets to do so for herself. Yeah, exactly. Um, to say nothing about the whole, I know there's a big movement. I don't know if you've seen it on uh, Twitter about people who have been raised by people who have been abusive. Who are the I don't know if you've seen the hashtag hashtag I am Ray Skywalker. I haven't. Um, it there. I know that 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 the Ray Palpatine to Ray Skywalker thing hits very hard for people who have been who've had abusive parents who've had like just abusive people in their life who've like been in a mentor role and like saying i can rise above that and i can be better than that and all that kind of stuff which is just something i'd love to mention because it's such a great arc um yeah that's like that's our a theme between themes part um i guess let's get to everybody's favorite part star wars in the galaxy what you've brought me today is worth one quarter portion. That's right, one quarter portion, the segment uh, where we do some random stuff. In keeping with all of our uh, Star Wars and the Galaxy stuff, um, we're going to do some quick ranks. Uh, I guess I'll ask Devor to weigh in on this kind of stuff. Um, I'm trying to think of... Yeah... Actually, let's do this. Since we've just been talking about closing scenes, can you give me your top five closing scenes of Star Wars movies? Oh, I like this one. Why don't you go first? Uh, five to one or one to five? Five to one. All right, five to one. Okay, um, number five, we are going with... Um, we're going to say Rise of Skywalker, that one. Okay. Uh, good choice, f- good choice, good choice. Four, we're going... Um, four, we're going Revenge of the Sith. Okay. Um, three. Um, oh my god, have I already blanked? <laughs> hey, hang on. I got. I got it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I should have written these down. Uh, oh, I have. Oh yeah. Uh, Rogue One. Yes. Number three is Rogue One. Number two is A New Hope. Number one is The Force Awakens. Interesting. Yes. That's an interesting list. I think my list is going to interest you quite a bit. Number five, The Phantom Menace. Oh, good one. I, I'll i just explain this one a little bit. There are these somber, like a lot of closing scenes are somber. Mm-hmm. This is one of the most unique closing scenes of any Star Wars movie because it's very celebrational, but you know the Palpatine's plan is just beginning. Yeah, the, the variant of the Emperor's theme that plays. Yeah. Uh, number four is... The Empire Strikes Back. Mm-hmm. Number three is Revenge of the Sith. Number two, to no surprise of anybody, is The Rise of Skywalker. And number one is, in my opinion, the ultimate uh, ending scene, which is Return of the Jedi. Uh, Dancing with Teddy yes. Bears. Um, <laughs> Dancing with Teddy Bears, yes. <laughs> um, okay, uh, so Devor has asked to do the opening scenes. Um, so I think that's what we'll do next. All right, uh, top five opening scenes. Number five, The Phantom Menace. Okay. Number four, The Force Awakens. Okay. 
Number three, A New Hope. Okay. Number two, Revenge of the Sith. Number one, The Rise of Skywalker. Interesting. <laughs> You're going to be surprised to know that The Rise of Skywalker is not on my list. Oh, that is surprising. Yeah. Even more surprising is what my list actually is, actually. The first four are pretty... I surprised myself with my fifth one. Number five, Solo A Star Wars Story, I said That's it. a good one. That's a good... That's legit. Legit. <laughs> it's fun. It's fast-paced. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. Number four, Revenge of the Sith. Number three, The Force Awakens. Number two is going to surprise a lot of people. I thought it was going to surprise you more, but you had it on your list. Number two, The Phantom Menace. Don't underrate that opening. No, it's good. It is, it is so... What it does at like what it does to expand the universe. That's exactly it. I what what the, I don't think the Star Wars universe would be the same without the opening of the Phantom Menace. Number four. Let's just tell you this: we see a decently big ship going across screen, and then we see this massive ship enveloping. It's a New Hope. Come on. Yeah. It's it's a classic, man. It is. I I actually quite enjoy the fact that my top three closing scenes were all from the trilogy enders oh and my top three opening scenes were all from the trilogy openers oh, that's interesting <laughs> and it makes sense if you think about it like that um okay uh here's 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 one um uh top five wackadoodle fan theories like fan theories that you've heard that make like that that are either predicting something that happened in Last Jedi Rise of Skywalker or all of that kind of stuff that didn't happen and it was like ridiculous or that like explains the universe in a an odd way. Uh, let's uh, I want to do a little bit differently for this one. Let because I want both of us to explain these things in case the other one doesn't know that know these. So, can we go back and forth, like, you'll do five, I'll do five, and all that kind of stuff? Okay, yeah. Okay. Uh, go ahead. Um, so I will say, um, let's go, let's go with my five one is gonna be, um, it's, it's not, it's not too, like, wacky, but, like, um, Snoke is Plagueis. I'll, I'll go with that one. See, here's the thing, I used to believe that. I genuinely, pre-Last Jedi, I genuinely used to believe that. Um... Yeah. Number five for me. Devor, this is not going to make as much sense if you haven't seen um, a movie, and I, I don't want to spoil a big twist in it because it's crazy, I, but I think you've probably seen it. Have you seen The Sixth Sense? I have not, no. But I, I know the twist ending. You know the twist ending? Yes. That he's like, that, that he is not really real. That he's a ghost. Yeah. So somebody had that theory about The Last Jedi. That Luke, <laughs> long ago, died on Octo... And that, like, the cranky Luke, this was made to explain the cranky Luke that people hated in The Last Jedi, was not actually alive, but was just, like, a vestige there until he fulfilled his destiny with Ben. Okay. Which is so weird. Oh, man. I've um, never heard of that one. Yeah, it's, it's lived in the back of my brain for a while. Go ahead with your number four. Let's say number four, um... I'm going to go... This is a pretty recent one. Uh, I'm going to go with the uh, 
a, a lot of these are about like someone is someone. I'm gonna go with the Omega yeah. as a Palpatine. You know, the hair is like creepy, but like I don't think that actually yeah. means anything. Yeah, I agree with you. So this number four is not really it's sort of a fan theory. It's a little more official than a fan theory. I don't know if not really though. I don't know if you've read so first of all, you know who Alan Dean Foster is. Yes. Have you read his draft for episode nine? I have not, no. So he hated The Last Jedi. Mm -hmm. Like, vehemently hated it. One of his explanations in Rise of Skywalker, in his, in, in his nine, to explain some of the terrible plot points that he thought saw in Last Jedi, was that Rey was part robot. Oh god, I remember that! Yes, <laughs> Rey is a cyborg. <laughs> yeah, just... Dear God. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Ugh, oh my God. Yeah. Um, yeah, go ahead with your number three. Um, number three is... Um, God, so many of these are sequel trilogy. I'm going to go with the... This could technically be like two, but I'm lumping them together. But is uh, Ray The like, Ray is either Luke's daughter or Han and Leia's daughter. So either of those. Interesting. Um, yeah. The because I could have sworn... Because, again, with the... I thought she was Luke's daughter. I thought mm -hmm. she was going to be Luke's daughter post Force Awakens. I totally thought that was the direction they were taking. Um, but apparently not. Yeah. I'm going to go with a theory. I don't know if you've heard this one. This is, oh, this is so weird. Have you heard the Ray is pregnant after... I've heard of that Star one. Walker yeah, that he impregnates her. How and what and why and... Sar what... I'm not even going to try and dignify that one. Number two. Um, number yeah. two. This is one that probably a lot of people have not heard, but that I came across. It was a post-Force Awakens theory, and it was like, um, which is that Rey is an Anakin clone? I come across that. Okay, you have. I've, All right. I've, 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 I, I don't think I've investigated it too much, but I've heard of it. Yeah. Yeah. Number number two is one that I got I, um, that falls under the your Snoke theory sucks category. <laughs> Snoke is Tarkin. <laughs> I've heard of that one. In case you didn't know, his Death Star exploded under his feet. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, go ahead. Number one. Number one, the the one that like as soon as I remembered it, just like. Made me chuckle. Yeah, me too, actually. Jin is Ray's grandmother. <laughs> from Rogue One. That theory. Ironically, mine was also a Rogue One theory, oh, okay. too, but um but grandmother, not mother? I think what I heard was just because of like the amount of time, I think I heard it as grandmother. Maybe it was mother. I don't I don't remember how I've heard it. Do you do you also uh, know maybe there was a theory you know what now that there? I think about it, maybe you're right. Maybe it is uh, she's Ray's mom. Do, do you also remember the one that said that um, Inversio and Del Nico were going to be your parents? No, I did not hear this one. <laughs> yep. Oh my god. Couple Imperials appearing in a Star Wars video game? Yep, they're Ray's parents. Okay, mine's not a Ray's parents theory, and it's not a Snoke theory, either. It is an interesting one. The crew from Rogue One become the Knights of Ren. I know that one. <laughs> <laughs> the creepiest thing is it actually had a little bit of basis in something minuscule. 
the way do you know the first promotional image they ever released for rogue one no it's this one can you see this oh my god yeah i remember that one <laughs> okay based on the way that they're standing in the photo people put them together with the way the knights of ren were standing at the in the vision in the force awakens oh goodness and they're like they must be the same because they're standing similar uh yeah so that's an interesting one uh do you got another one oh um it i can come up with another one if you need yeah you go okay um let's see all let's do um top five star wars comedy moments oh and memes count by the way unintentionally funny moments like memes count oh okay perfect this is totally it yeah my number five yeah um from the last jedi um can you feel the force like yes i can when he holds out the branch and he waves like that's not the force yeah love that also from the sequel trilogy my number five um ray poe you're all right finn you're all right you didn't say my name, sir, but I'm quite all right. So many good 3PO <laughs> moments in, in The Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. Oh, great stuff. All right. Uh, number four? Yep. All right. Number four. It is, I think, it is the most recent entry on here that I have. Let's just say they might recognize my face. Recognize my face. <laughs> good stuff. Good stuff. I love that line. Another recent addition... Also from The Last Jedi. Yes, I'm here with a communique for General Hugs. I have an urgent message for him. About his mother. (laughs) I don't care how stupid it is on a comedy level. It's hilarious. (laughs) Yeah. Alright, my number three. Alright. Number three. Um... We, we transferred your message just as you requested, Master. Then we decided to come and rescue you. Good job. Good job. <laughs> oh, no, I just kind of looks around. <laughs> Good job. Good job. Um, uh, my last intentionally funny moment on this list, because the top two are unintentional, um, every, like, a lot of things that Yoda says on Dagobah to Luke, Yes, wise master he is. Take it to him, I will. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, Luke, he's right there. Yeah. It's so hilarious. Totally. Yeah. My number two is the one only unintentionally funny one on here, but it is uh, for me I... the most unintentionally funny line in all of Star Wars, and it comes from Qui-Gon in The Phantom Menace. I didn't actually come here to free slaves. Every time I laugh. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Because it's just Explain like, that a bit. you've got like, you, you've got the mother of a slave, like right next to you. They're talking about it's her a little son. And he's like, yeah, I'm like, this is not my problem. <laughs> what? <laughs> what do you mean? Yeah. Both of these moments for me, my number two and number one are um, unintentionally fun. Let's go to my number two. I can't tell you a specific line because this entire scene. Uh, Disturbing is this move by Chancellor Palpatine. I understand. You are on this council. We do not grant you the rank of master. What? How can you do this? This is outrageous. It's unfair. How can you be on the council and not be a master? 
Take a seat, young Skywalker. Whiny Anakin. Then, then, just the entire thing. My favorite parts in that scene, uh, have you seen the meme cuts where they go, it's outrageous, it's unfair, it's unfageous. And they just merge the two words together. I also just love Anakin's delivery of the word B. How can you be on the council yep. and not be a master? It's the perfect, it's just perfect. Yeah. All right, my number one. We got to yeah. go back to the beginning with a new hope. We had a slight uh, weapons malfunction, but everything is fine here. We're all fine here We're now. Fine. Thank you. How are you? How are you? Gold. Who is this? What's your operating number? <laughs> uh, boring conversation anyway. Look, we're going to have company. Yeah. Oh, such a good moment. Okay. For my number one moment, my number one moment is so funny because it is my least favorite moment of Disney Star Wars. Okay. I am very, largely very positive about Disney Star Wars. And Jacob made me less so. This is the moment we can both agree on is terrible. You gotta imagine something, too. I'll give you some extra context. The context around this scene makes it even funnier. Alright. Yes, you are registering for the Imperial Academy. Oh, uh, what is your name? Han. What's your tribe? Who's your people? I'm, I'm alone. I got nobody. Han. Solo. It is the most unintentionally funny part Great. of that movie, and it's and it sucks. I hate it so much. It's ironic, actually. I was thinking to myself the other day. It's ironic how much I hate Han Solo and love Ray Skywalker, but then I realized those two scenes are basically the opposite yes. because one of them is you defining who you are, and the other one is somebody else defining. But I hate the idea that this legendary name of Han Solo was just come up with by some random imperial officer yeah it named drawed mumbrin it answers a question literally no one asked about han solo which is <laughs> yes, why is his last fact. name no one has ever wanted to know that everyone's just like that's his last except name except for except for except for lawrence kasdan apparently wanted to know that you know why this is the context that makes it funny he pitched solo with that line oh my god oh god yeah he pitched the entire movie, most of which I actually enjoy, with that line. Oh, God. I don't like to talk about things that I hate. I despise that line. It's not good. It's but it, I, I, it, it's one of those things that shouldn't be as funny as it is. Yeah. But, but, but just the way that this cocky and unsure just goes, yeah, I'll give you the name Solo, because why not, man? You know, in Legends, Solo was the name of Corellian royalty. Oh, okay. Nope, just some name just... that some guy gives to you, because why the heck not? Yeah. Yeah, that is... <laughs> it is, it is, it is so... And they gave the guy a name, too, Drawed Mundbring, <laughs> which makes the scene on just another level. I think I saw um, Laura from Force Toast tweet something about Drawed Mundbrim the other day, actually, a few weeks ago, and she's like, only six people will get this reference, and I'm like, Hi. Um, I will get this reference for you. Uh, you're welcome. Anyway, that is going to be it for this episode of Star Wars in a Galaxy. Thank you so much to Devor for coming on here. Um, Devor, uh, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you? Yeah, so you can find a larger view of the Force pretty much wherever you listen to podcasts, wherever you're listening to this now. Odds are you can find it. It's on Apple, Google, Spotify, 
all the big ones. Um, and you can find the show on Twitter at a larger view pod. Next week, uh, Jacob and I will officially be starting season seven of Star Wars and a Galaxy. We will be looking at the Mon Calamari arc. Yes, this episode was pre-recorded. Um, but yeah, we'll be looking at Water War, Gungan Attack, and Prisoners. In the meantime, you can find Star Wars in the Galaxy on Twitter at In the Galaxy Pod, Instagram at Star Wars in the Galaxy. Uh, you can listen to us, Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, anywhere you listen to your podcasts. We'll probably be there. If we're not, just let us know. Um, and we'll try and get on there. You can email us with your hot takes and questions and Six Degrees Star Wars, all that, uh, Galaxy at gmail.com. Uh, if you're on Apple Podcasts or another podcast app that leaves reviews, please leave a review. Five-star rating review uh, really helps um, us with our visibility. Um, until then, I guess, may the Force be with you. Always.